Hi there, welcome to the More Simple Podcast. This is a podcast for Blacks, Asians, and those who love them. I am Mo, and I am your host, ready to spark your curiosity as I take you on this adventurous ride of exploring cultures through the stories of my guests from all over the world. On this show, we get really personal, discussing salient issues that are relevant to our contemporary age and also building community around them. As our guests exercise courage and vulnerability in sharing their life's experiences, we hope that in turn you are inspired by them and that you get the courage in it to set your own stories free. Enjoy the ride and thank you so much for listening. Um, hello everyone, welcome back to the show. We are at a critical point in American history where the country is divided on racial and political lines. And as at the time of this recording, there's been a spate of targeted crimes against Asians in the US. And to explore the issue of identity and also of you know acceptance and cultural curiosity, I could not think of a better person to navigate this discussion with me today on the show. In her book, Too Much Soul. Ms. Cindy Wilson, the author challenges us to question the flawed concept of race and how at the end of the day, what we are on the outside isn't what binds us. It is rather our shared experiences navigating the complexity of the human condition that brings us together. Sound familiar? Yes. This is a very ethos of the show and myself as a host. So without further ado, please join me in welcoming Ms. Wilson to the podcast. Hello, Cindy. Hello, Mo. Thank you for having me on. And that was a great introduction. I loved it. <laughs> my pleasure. My pleasure. And so I found you on Sky City's um, YouTube channel. So guys, go listen to that. We might gloss over some of the things you spoke about there. So that way you guys can give, you know, Sky City a credit for doing such a wonderful interview. Um, but just for the sake of those that, you know, haven't gotten to watch, you know, Sky City's interview, can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Sure. Yeah. Um, so I'm a transracial adoptee and my name is Cindy Wilson and I was born in uh, Seoul, Korea. And maybe when I was a few months old, I was given up for adoption. And so I was at an orphanage. My um, adoptive parents at the time were stationed in the army. And so uh, my mom had had a lot of miscarriages. Um, so at the time, she thought she couldn't have any children. So being there and like, if you know anything about Korean adoption, um, it's the highest international adoption population. So um, during the time she was there, it was like almost like easy access to, to be able to adopt a child because it brought so much um, revenue to their government. And so, um, you know, she was like, well, you know, let's just look into this. And, and they were able to adopt me. And uh, we probably stayed about a year. And again, I was only a couple months old. So I don't remember living there at all. And I mean, you know, my mom tells me stories about it and she loved it. But we ended up moving back to the States and we moved to Chicago. And three years after they adopted me, uh, my brother was born. Um, his name is Adrian. Yeah. So he's African-American or black. And um, after that, we moved to Winston-Salem, North Carolina, 
um, where my parents, they ended up getting a divorce. So I was seven years old when my mom, my brother, and myself moved to Jackson, Mississippi. And uh, living on around like military families um, up to that point, it was very diverse. So nobody pointed out the fact that I look different. I look different from my family. Like that, that was just not anything I had to think about or I had to even consider. Um, and so when I moved to Jackson, it's not very diverse. It's very, it's a lot of black people and it's a lot of white people. Um, I only knew two other Asian people growing up in Jackson. They were both Chinese. Um, I'm Korean. Everybody called me Chinese. And I'm like, uh, there's more than one ethnicity of Asian people. So that was always interesting. And then just the constant bullying being picked on was just really, you know, for me, exhausting. It was like, you know, like just being an easy target. And I think that's what we're seeing now, you know, just that resurgence of like um, just how words can empower and like just from somebody saying, calling it the China virus or the Kung flu and people taking that and, and knowing, you know, that now at this point they can make, you know, we're like an easy target. Or if you look at the, uh, the resurgence of like just Asian hate over this past year, yeah. really most of the people that have been targeted have been older and women. Yes. And it's like, how cowardly is that? That, you know, you feel the need to one, target people um, and be verbally and vis- uh, physically, physically, yeah, like um, harmful towards them. But not only that, but they're older and they're women, you know, uh, like 68% um, of, of them are women, you know. So it just goes to show like just how cowardly some people's actions are, just especially when it comes to racism, you know, it's, it's just ridiculous. So yeah. I digress, but yeah, so, you know, so it's like, it really triggers what's going on now. A lot of what I had to deal with at a young age of being constantly targeted and picked on and bullied only because of the shape of my eyes, which is like mm. ridiculous, you know? So it was something I couldn't control something, you know, like I couldn't fix per se, you know? So um, I tried to, for me growing up, like not bring a lot of attention to my Asianness, you know, and, and somebody asked me at a speaking engagement I had, um, they were like, well, do you think that you lean more into black culture? So, uh, you weren't picked on so people wouldn't pick on you as much. And I never thought about that before. And I mean, one naturally, because that was my environment, of course, I, that's why I leaned into that. Um, but then, you know, like you hear about other Asian people, or whether they're adopted or not, and they typically tend to lean into like more white, you know, culture or like the things that they do to kind of take that target off of themselves. Um, so for me at a really young age, it just r- developed like identity issues um, where it was really hard for me to just accept myself. And love myself for who I who I was, you know, because um, for me at a young age, it's like you equate being different to not being good. So it's like, yeah, you just want to do anything just to fit in and be accepted. Um, And so, again, you know, it's like for me throughout the years, I've really had to work on, you know, really being more accepting 
and and loving the person that I am, you know. Uh, that went on for a, a long time, you know, like where I was like physically having to fight people um, in order just to get respect and let people know, look, like you are not going to mess, you know, and then like, I'm probably a little crazy in the head too. So I'm like, windmill, <laughs> like that you come from me. Um, kind of transitioning from that to like, you know, it's like, all right, you know, like if you come from me, like, I might not physically fight you because there are consequences, but I'm not enough. Yeah, 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 yeah. And, and it's like, I'm not going to start it, but if you start it, I'll finish it. So let's do Let's do yeah. So, um, but then like, just even getting older, it's like, you realize the impact that words have, right? And how they can um, affect who we are as individuals. And they it really gets into the soul of who we are and like causes trauma that we have to try to heal from and fix like as we get older and so I didn't want to be that person to other people you know so I just had to really lean into like developing my own self-confidence and and you know again like it's been a lot of work like I, I still have to uh do that daily you know even now you know it's like I will rock like a um you know it's an honor to be Asian a quote from like Sandra Oh but like yeah. I'm thinking about where I'm going and like, is that going to make me a target, you know, or like if I wear like my Korean hoodie, you know, from, uh, a, you know, another company, like, is that going to make me a target? Okay. You know? Yeah. Instead of just being like, I don't care, you know? So, but I mean, but because of the times that we're living in, it's like, those are the things that I have to think about. So, um, then I went to an HBCU, which is a historically black college and university. Yeah. And so uh, that was a great experience, you know. Um, like, even though I'm not black, um, I always tell people that are, are especially, you know, younger kids, like, um, that are black, like, if you have the opportunity, go, you know. And it's like you hear, um, I would hear, like, other black people say you know what like I'm gonna go to PWI because I want to be prepared for the real world World, and so my advice is like listen the real world is gonna be out there it's out there whether you're in school or not or whatever (laughs) but it's like if you can have that time to just be somewhere where um, you're celebrated you know and like you don't have like racism isn't the thing you have to worry about you just have to worry about passing your class right um it just you know i think for me being in that that type of environment um it really helped me and my self-esteem so when i went on to the world it was like i was very confident in who i was and and now it's like i've developed these friendships that down the road they're like family for me you know um so that was a great experience uh then i moved to Birmingham, Alabama, and that was that was great. Um, I met a lot of wonderful, amazing, kind people, and it was weird. And it, it just showed me the trauma that I had um, from being picked on for so long, or bullied, or targeted. Uh, I was like moving there. People would be like, just they wanted to hang out with me, and they wanted to be my friend. And I was like, I don't know you. Like, why do you want to be my friend? You know, like, but I it and me and my best friend, we joke about it all the time because I was like, like I would call my friends in Mississippi and I would tell her like, 
I'd be like, this this lady, like, she's so, you know, like, she's so nice. She's so pretty. She's the doctor. Like, I don't know why she wants to hang out with me. Like, don't you think that's weird? My friends like, yeah. Um, but it was like, she just was nice, you know? And it, like, she didn't want anything for me. I got, there was nothing I could give to her. And so it really just showed me how guarded I was. You had been, yeah. Foreign, the concept of kindness and like people just you know really wanting to get to know you and be your friend was just was was for me you know yeah um and then about 10 11 years ago I moved to Atlanta so that was like a huge transition period in my life where before I never wanted to go to Korea then since moving here it really um having that exposure to like Korean culture the heritage, festivals, food, um, it really piqued that curiosity for me. Um, but then that was interesting too, because it's just that, you know, I don't know if you've met other transracial adoptees, but when you're around like your prescribed, you know, culture, heritage based on your ethnicity, um, you feel that imposter syndrome. I've and heard about like, that. Yeah. So mm-hmm. it's like, this is supposed to be a part of who I am, but it's not like I didn't grow up around this, you know? And so me going to a restaurant and knowing maybe 10% of the things on the menu and just feeling that embarrassment, like I feel like I should know more, but I just don't, you know? Um, And so, but that, that again, led to a more exploratory path for me. And since, you know, I've been to Korea twice um, and that's been interesting because you know, a lot of pressure I put on myself, like, what if I don't fit in? What if I don't feel accepted? But it was like, just go, just enjoy it, just see what it what it is. Um, immediately, I felt like I belong there because when you drive into Seoul, all you see is like chicken and beer signs. And I was Too like, oh, wait a minute, where am I? Is this Jackson? Hold on, wait a minute. Um, but then like when you're there, like not only being a transracial adoptee, but also being American added another layer of like, you know, um, experiences. Yeah. Yeah. Like people, people that I met there would be like, Oh yeah, we can sell. You're not Korean, Korean. Um, and I was like, well, what does that mean? And they were like, just the way you do your makeup and, and how you dress. Um, like they can tell you're not from here. And I remember uh, I was in Starbucks and this lady walked in. Her her shoes are like fabulous. And I was like, oh my gosh, look at her shoes. And I was like, oh my gosh, I love your shoes. And she just looked at me like, um, <laughs> what are you doing? We don't do that here. Why are you Like, and you know, and again, it was just like my American culture of just, yeah. you know. And so it was like, I had to learn to kind of pivot, you know, the, you know, uh, how I'm used to being, um, to really, um, be respectful of like their culture and, and, and how they live. Um, but you know, again, like the first time I went, I definitely was like, yeah, I don't feel like this is me per se, but then yeah. I went the next year to an international Korean adoptee conference. And then I met all these um, international, like Korean transracial adoptees, which was amazing. Um, and a lot of the people I had met 
this was their first time going there. So for me, I was like, well, let's go here. I let, you know, like I know all these other places I've already been to. Um, and it was just so cool to be able to show them what I had already experienced and just, you know, somewhat feeling more of a connection. And like, this is like a part of, a part of me, you know? Um, but again, it's like, you know, it's it's just it's so hard you know it's like when you're you're raised a certain way and you're so comfortable with a certain lifestyle um but then you have society that is like no this is you know this is who you are yeah Yeah. how you look and it's like but that's not what you know i really relate to so it's like for me i'm still on this journey of learning more about my korean culture and heritage but like um i'm learning right but that's not me and that that's not how I was raised. That's not what I was exposed to. That wasn't what has shaped, like it may shape me down the line, but it it's not what has shaped me up to the point of who I am. So. Wow. Thank you so much for that. I, um, I loved your book. So she wrote a book called Too Much Soul, which, you know, I'm holding up right now. And the way I read it was almost like I was reading her diary that she made, you know, accessible to the public. And there's so many themes that I, you know, um, elicited from your book. I think one of the biggest thing was identity. You spoke about your grandfather, for example, and how you and your brother, you know, um, you would go, Adrian, you would, you know, ransack the house, he would cook and you, you described his presence. And I could just imagine how that also, you know, the legacy he left behind helped you really stay so grounded because I believe that, you know, the issue of bullying in schools, if the parental front, like at home, if children were more secured and they knew who they were, bullying might not be that, you know, impactful on them, you know, in school because a lot of kids seek for that peer validation. And I could tell from your book that you really knew who you were, you were because your parents, it seemed like they didn't treat you any differently. They didn't, you know, even hanging out like in church with you know your grandparents church that you spoke about and so um i i love that and, and i think it, it really shows in your process as well like you you're really securing your identity and for you to want to even explore your korean heritage it's more like a bonus for you it's like you know what let's just you know explore this but you already know who you are it really didn't really matter much so i was going to ask you this question your tagline is i'm korean yet culturally black and you know i know that most black people or any black person that reads that might want to like you know roll their eyes like what does that even mean like how Uh dare you you know so how do you know we talked about in your book like a lot of people that give you flack were actually blacks but then eventually you you guys became friends and you know but initially they gave you the trouble the most so how do you navigate you know holding on to these two culturally rich identities especially in a world like you said where people are, are so obsessed with categories and labels what backlashes have you faced, if any, for identifying as a culturally black person, despite you know, you know, being phenotypically you know, Asian? And how do you work around this? Yeah, no, that's a really great question. So, I mean, if if anyone has followed me or kind of knows, you know, some of me, me sharing my story. It's always interesting when people post that, um, like for some of the videos or interviews I've been in and it's like, it's almost like clickbait, but it's like, still, it's my, it's my story. It's my truth. And so it's interesting because a lot of people, when they read it or when they hear my story, they're like, oh, okay. I mean, that makes sense. 
Like her parents are black, you know, like uh, a lot of people are like, oh, you're like Rachel Dillazal. I'm like, no, <laughs> like my family is black, you know? And it's like, and that was my environment that I grew up around. But my mom exposed us to a lot of other things too, you know, um, and not just um, black culture. And so, but, you know, but black culture is what shaped me. Like when I think about certain movies or shows or music or food, like, you know, like what has influenced me is black culture, you know? Um, and so, and then especially like just the woman that I am today, like I would be remiss if I didn't say that, like, I've been strongly influenced, especially mm. by um, black women, you know, that have made me um, into the strong woman that I am, you know, today. Like, I've never said, I'm black, you know, uh, I'm like, I'm Asian, like, uh, but, uh, you know, again, like, I would be remiss if I did not, you know, and then then if I if I didn't acknowledge that, then people would be like, but her family's like, like how she's not gonna acknowledge, you know, that. So it's like you can't, sometimes you can't win for losing. But you know what? My thing for me is like, this is my truth. This is my story. And the and one of the reasons why I wrote my book was because I wanted to rewrite my narrative, you know, instead of like people saying who I should and like society, like it's so loud you know and it's so hard to be like who you are as an individual and I I totally get why people struggle with identity issues and which was another reason why I wrote my book because society is so loud when it speaks to how we should be as individuals based on how we look you know and people grow up in so many different environments and you don't know the situations that they grew up in that has shaped them to be who they are and what has influenced them. And it's like really the only way to get to know that is to know their story, you know, to ask them and not judge a book by its cover, which was like, you know, I, that's what I felt like I had to deal with all the time. Yeah. I mean, um, I don't know if you know this about me, but I started exploring, um, Korean culture many years ago and I began speaking it actually four years ago and then coming from English and into Korean but I remember I used to struggle a lot because of just how do I explain to people that I love this culture there's so many things being African that I've learned you know by navigating to Korean culture like the love for food the love for family you know yeah. family activity, your nationalism and all that oh my god you know the entertainment scene is you know killing it but it was really my Korean friends that helped me, you know, get grounded. Like, we love that you love our country. Heck, you know a lot about our history than we do. And so, you know, and I think that theme was really, you know, replacing your book of, yeah. you know, you, your interaction with black people and just how that has really forged who you are. And it's what you are. It's it's not like you're trying to fake it. You didn't, you didn't, you were born into it. This is your family. This yeah. is your life. You know, yeah. it's your identity. Yeah. I yeah. think there's a difference between cultural appropriation and culture, cultural appropriation. Yes, yes, you know? yes, like, yes. Um, you know, like I think, and, and I don't know Rachel Dole's all, but it's like, I love that she loves the black community and that she's even taken on roles in the NAACP. But, it's, yeah. but to me, that doesn't mean you have to dismiss who you are and how yeah. you were born, you know, so that that's my only issue is like, like in your situation, like you're still who you are, but you have this love and appreciation for 
another culture that reminds you of your own and there's nothing wrong with that but then (laughs) people think oh you're being sick about like oh you know korean boom like oh whatever you know especially in um communities of color it's like we qualify each other and it's like you're not this sad yeah you don't like this you know and it's like oh you like xyz and other things outside of this like you're not with us and it's like you know it's like that's not like it's okay for people to like what they like you know exactly that's why we have like yeah, and, and now it's like we're such a melting pot and we're exposed to so much more when it comes to food and culture um, and you know it's like I just um, I, w- I would have hated you know I think because I am a transracial adoptee like um, and I tried to figure out my identity for so long that I'm so intrigued by other cultures and ethnicities and I'm, I'm so just naturally curious Um and it's like, you know, like, is that more of like me and who I am, you know? And it's like yeah. learning about different cultures. Like there are so many things about each of them that are so similar, but they're so different. And it's like, why can't we just learn to appreciate that, you know? And, it, yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Making it separate us. Yeah. I agree. I always say there's that same thing, but different thread that runs through all of us. Let's appreciate the differences and also, yeah. you know, enjoy the sameness. We might do this differently, but at the end of the day, we all want to, you know, belong and, you know, feel a part of something. Yeah. Um, I have three more questions for you, and I hope we can, like, you know, rush through this because they're really good. So the first one is this. There's an assumption that is widely spread, you know, about um, Korean adoptees that they flourish in white middle, you know, classes, class families with like white picket fences, you know, armed with a backpack of privileges. While this might hold through for some people, it's certainly not the same for everyone. And you're a prime example of those who fall in that latter category because your book really shares, you know, about growing up in Jackson, Mississippi and having just enough to get by. You were very explicit in explaining, though, just how difficult it was, you know, the apartment you lived in and all that. Can you share a little bit more about this, especially to encourage listeners who may find it hard to rise above such humble beginnings? And I grew up similarly to you. My parents really have enough. Everything they had, they put into our education growing up in Nigeria. And I used to have a lot of complex, you know, where I lived. But, you know, I'm glad I'm where I am today and I thank God for it. But I imagine that some people are still stuck in that mentality of not having enough. How did you, you know, overcome all of that? Yeah. Oh, that's good. I, I love your questions because they're so different. Like, I feel like I get a lot of the same questions. So, but and but you read the book, so I love that. I read the book, and I wanted to do something differently and give yes, other people yeah, to do something as well. I love it. So that's a great question, and you know, it's like I think with adoption, a lot of people uh, fairy tale it. You know, like oh, that's so. You know, they love they. You know, I'm sure they love you and you were loved that they picked you and blah, blah, blah. And it's like, listen, there's some adoptees that have had great experiences. And there are some that if you like, I've met so many transracial adoptees that have had very traumatic experiences. Right. And like, for me growing up, I'm like, uh, like can Oprah adopt me? Like, like, you know, you hear about these rich people adopting these kids, but it's like, my parents aren't rich, you know? Um, So I think for me, you know, and I mean, we weren't by any means like, um, you know, 
kind of just, I mean, there were times where it was like we were getting by, especially, you know, my mom being a single mom, you know, for a while. Um, so I would say, you know, it like now me and my brother and just even our friends, like when we grew up and like, you know, and, and lived somewhat of that struggle, struggle life for a little while, you know, it's like you look back at it and you appreciate it because it like builds character um, and then it's like it it just really makes you to appreciate like where you are now it's like you know like um, that you know we, we had to make it off of XYZ and now it's like you know if I want to go to a nice restaurant or whatever you know I can go and I can afford it myself you know and I don't have to really just think twice about it so it makes you again I, I feel like it builds character it really helps you to appreciate and be grateful for like um the things that you have now um I think you know too it's like it, it just it makes you almost work harder you know um so but you know it's like there are other things you know that kind of come with that too it's like um, you know, it like, does it, that make me always feel like I'm trying to prove myself or exactly. you know, so it's like, there are some positives that come with it, but then there's some negatives too. Or it's like just that fear of like not wanting to ever go back to that place and space again. Um, and then, you know, just trying to do better. You know, I think the goal of every generation should be just to do better than the generation before. Before it, yeah. Because yeah. it's like, you know, like I was never taught about finances and like um, generational wealth or anything like that. And it's like now having more exposure and education to it, it's like, you know, how do I create that for myself? How do I create that? I don't have any kids, you know, but like maybe for my niece, you know. And to make sure that she's good when she gets older, um, you know, and like having conversations with my mom the other day, it's like, okay, listen, like this is what other people do. So they have that generational wealth. Like, uh, we need yeah. to on this, like, <laughs> you know? Um, and so it's like, you know, I think just, um, again, recreating that narrative. It's like, just because, you know, you're a person of color and this is how it's always been doesn't mean that's always how it has to be. Has to be. Mm. Thank you for that. And I think for me is learning how to be humble and looking past just, you know, f- material things and physical appearances. And I don't like that, you know, everything is like the feeling of not feeling like I belong in most spaces has gone away. But I have to just keep reminding myself, it's the boogeyman. It's not real. It's not real. It's <laughs> to be here, you know? Yeah. But, um, well, yeah. I, and, yeah. And, you know, like, even our parents' generation, you know, are, and for women, it's like you're taught to, like, get married and let a man take care of you. But then, like, my mom's yeah. generation, it's like, no, you go and you be independent and you're, you Make should be able to yourself. Um, but yeah. now I'm like, uh, can I get a sugar daddy in the house? Like, I don't want to pay off the bills. You know, but but I, it's like, too, it's like, you know, because our parents, like, are pushing us and, like, our generation to do better. Sometimes it's like, um, you know, it's like now that I'm older, it's like just the rat race of, like, corporate. And, the, you know, and it's like really to me, you know, like. The probably what I will instill in my niece is more, um, I mean, 
financially, um, you do want that freedom in a sense, but like, how do you get that smarter, but not harder? Um, yeah. but where you also live a life where you can be free to be, be who you are. Cause sometimes when yeah. you're in corporate and you're chasing that dollar to be financially, you know, do financially well. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's like, it, it can burn you out or, you know, like it can take away from like, who you are and your identity and and that freedom to be that you know I agree I think the key here is to balance yourself very well now um your book the very first page or maybe two pages down we see that you dedicated you know the, your book to your niece that's Adrian's daughter Alexandria yeah. who's very racial and you know, it sounds like she's really captured your heart and I mean heck you dedicated the whole book to her and I love that you shared your hopes to help her grow into a well-adjusted person and having you as an aunt I can I can imagine that you're gonna prepare her you know to identify to accept herself you know both as a black and a white person and all of the goodness and challenges that might abound in that space um the next question I'm gonna ask you is a little bit um I want to say uh tough but let me see how I can dice it down there's been some tense racist fraud historical events in the U.S. involving Asians for example in 1907 there was the Bellingham riots in 1987 there was um, the Dot Busters which was you know people that were they were targeting um, Indians with their bindi. In 1992, we had the you know LA riots in Korean town, and most recently, we have um, we've had a lot of um, attacks against Asian women in spas, like in Atlanta, and you know even against elderly um, elderly Asian men in other places like Oregon. Now, let's consider these issues on one hand. On the other hand, there also seems to be some segregation among Blacks and Asian Americans. And given the gains, gains we've, we've made a lot of gains as Black people, even though there's still a long way to go in you know, fighting for equality, leadership, occupying spaces. But there's not really been a lot of gain in um, improving inclusive, inclusivity in leadership among um, Asians and um, Asian Americans. Heck, I read uh, an article recently about how Asian Americans don't get, you know, these leadership positions because they're told to keep quiet and, you know, but the only time they want to put them up is when there's a crisis, someone that can be like the fall guy. And that's really, really sad to hear. Now, um, why do you think Asian Americans are not giving those equal visibility? And given how you have both cultural blends, what are your thoughts as to what is what is this cause of this tension? I know blacks have some stereotypes against Asian people and vice versa, you know. And how can we, you know, improve the relationships between, you know, these two groups? And I'm not putting you as the authority on these issues because, you know, this is just experience. But as someone who has, you know, navigated those two spaces, what are some of your thoughts on, you know, these um, statements I've just made? Yeah. So, okay. I think that, um, and you know, I'm a part of like an Asian, um, ER employee resource group and I'm, you know, really vocal about, you know, I think that there is an opportunity for us to have awareness and training that will help us to get promoted. Um, but I'm also very cautious of, um, us, um, getting, but I, I think there's a need for corporations to get training on Asian um, culture and just how Asian, you know, communities tend to operate, you know, um, that are very different, you know, especially if they've come from um, Asian, you know, families um, like immigrants, you know, their families are immigrants, you know. Um, And so I'm really careful, like you said, the word balance, right? 
So like maybe there are some things that we have to learn to be able to get that promotion. But I think there's some things that our company needs to learn about us too. Like we, I don't think the burden should be on us to have to fully assimilate, you know, and because then we're not able to bring our full self to work. We're not able to be authentically who we are because you're wanting to make us into this clone of a person that is like not comfortable for us, you know? So I think that's one thing. And I think your second question was like, how, like, how do we like just support one another or like, yes, like yes. Yeah, blacks and Asians? Cause you know, we, we're minority groups and we've both been targeted, you know, for different reasons. Yeah. But the, the end product is discrimination and, you know, reduced opportunities to ascend to leadership roles. Yeah. I think um, it's super. And I love that question because I think it's such a, a huge need right now. Um, I think for so long that um, we have allowed society to pit us against one another. Uh, like the model minority myth is a false narrative that was created to Amen, sis. Amen. <laughs> yeah, it was like created to further divide us from other people of color to just get people of color to get in line. Like this is this is you know if you're a minority, this is how you should behave in order to be accepted. And it's like. People are getting smarter and hip to that. And it's like, no, like uh, we don't have to conform and be X, Y, Z. And it's like, I think that we keep falling under that system and that trap of like, um, you know, of, of being uh, putting ourselves against each other when we have to do a better job of listening to one another. And I think that, um, you know, like just being on both sides of it, like with my family being black and then me being Asian, like with everything that was happening with Black Lives Matter last year and being like either speaking on panels or listening to people, um, overwhelmingly what I heard from the black community is listen, like listen to us and don't insert yourself. We've been saying a lot of this stuff for years and you have not listened, you know, um, and then being on the other side of the coin of like, um, you know, being a part of different Asian organizations and like me knowing what it means to be Asian, not because that's how I grew up and that was my household and that was my culture and that was my heritage, but solely based on how society has treated me, can I, I'm able to relate to other Asian women and be like, oh yeah, I get that all the time too. The stereotypes, the bullying, the mo- the false narrative of the model myth minority, you know? Um, so it's like for us, like with everything that's been going on in our community, uh, what I've seen overwhelmingly is that because like I mentioned before, we're so used to not bringing a lot of attention on ourselves because we don't yes. want to be a target. We don't typically talk about what we go through right and then sometimes um you know i do hear this too that like other asian people don't necessarily want to talk about it they don't they feel like it's disrespectful to communities of people that have gone through like worse things things or more trauma but it's like hurt is hurt and pain is pain you know and it's like racism for any group of of individuals is freaking trauma you know so it's like um 
if we were able to come together in unity and solidarity, we could get so much more accomplished together than separately. But the thing that really bothers me, and I've had even my friends say, you know, like, um, I don't stand with Asian people or like, I'm not, like, why am I going to support Asian people? They don't support us. And I'm like, I cannot let you make that statement. One, me being your friend and you know, that, and it's like, I, I support you differently. Right. And they're like, yeah, but you're different. And it's like, but I'm still one, I'm still Asian. And two, I know my Asian friends other Asian community are like programs and um, organizations that I follow that I'm a member of that stand in solidarity and have done things to help the black community and then vice versa like I know black people and black organizations that have stood in solidarity and support of Asian people so it's like two things can exist Asian people can be racist against black people. Black people can be racist against Asian people. But another side of it can exist. Asian people, there are some Asian people that are out there that support black people. And in a way where you would be like, oh my gosh. like, yeah. <laughs> um, And then there are black people that support Asian people. So yeah. it's like those two things can both exist. Could get, but exist like, yeah. But if we continue to fall under that trap of this system that has been created to divide us, then yes, that's an outcome that we're going to continue to get of continuously being divided. I, I really love that narrative and I totally agree with you. And I even think even within group differences, like as an African immigrant here to the U.S., there's also that, you know, um, system that has divided, that has divided Africans from African-Americans because we tend to always see them through the colors of whatever the media has been, you know, throwing at us for years. Um, I would love to keep talking with you, but our time is far spent. I would like to bring you back to talk more about adoption and adoption trauma because I really have, you know, some deep burning questions I'd like to ask you. Yeah. You know, for next time. But I want to just say thank you so much. Um, I, I, I agree with you that assimilation, I actually don't like that word because it comes from a place of power, like almost like it should be one way. I think it should be both ways. You know, it's, I'm bringing yeah, something to the table. Place as well. of power to make that is, I hate the word. I really hate the word. Anytime I hear it, I just want to cringe. Yeah. Um, I just, before you quickly go, where can people find you? And I'm going to put a link to your book. Guys, go get that book. You'll laugh a lot. You can just, you just want a spunky soul. And the cover is so, it cracks me up. You're not the one on the picture, are you? That is me. Oh my goodness. Look yeah. like a, <laughs> so the hair and the flag are like, the judge's flag. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh my God. That's it's so cute. You have such cute cheeks. I, I like, you know, pinching baby's cheeks in a very joking way. Oh, what yeah. do people find? My mama was me well. She's feeding me well. You know, I like food from my, my book. Good so. food, you know, those grains and. That's right. Yeah, potatoes and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, you talked about that in your book. Where can people find you quickly before we go? Yeah, so my website is too much soul.com. Um, please stay in contact with me. I'm also am on um, Instagram under Asian underscore Southern underscore Bell. And my book has its own um, Instagram page, Too Much Soul underscore book. So thank you so much for having me on. Great. I have a strong feeling we're going to talk again real soon. I want to say thank you so much for you know being a part of it. Well, guys, that was it. Go find her book on Amazon. It's Journey of an Asian Southern Bell. Too much soul. And the soul, you know, there's a cross that word that is soul as in the capital of Korea. And then so, I mean, that's so funny. It speaks to my soul. 
Ah, no pun intended. Maybe pun intended. All right, guys. Uh, I need to get off now. This is I'm making too many lame jokes. Um, catch you guys on another episode of the Mosible Podcast. I've been your host, Mosible. All right, and you can say, "Come, Sammy, da." Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Morrisable Podcast. Well, guess what? There's plenty more where that came from. So visit our website at www.mosibyl.com. That is www.mosibyl.com, where you can find hours of other binge-worthy episodes just like this one. And while you're at it, please don't forget to subscribe and leave us a rating on Apple Podcasts or Podbean as it encourages other awesome people like you to listen to the podcast as well. We are now officially on Podbean. It has an app. You can catch up on missed episodes and also get a notification when we have new episodes. Do you have a question for our guest, feedback on the episode, or a suggestion for a future guest? Then please get in touch with us by sending us an email at talktomore.mosible.com or connect with us via Instagram at the Moral Civil Podcast. Cannot wait to hear from you and thank you so much for always listening.